When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here is why you should tune into today's show. We are getting an inside look at how FTX operated, and let's just say it is far from business as usual. We'll be joined live by Bitstamp US CEO Bobby Z and Signum Group CEO Matthias Imbach. I'm Jeremy Barlow. Ash Bennington, as always, is with me. Ash, happy Friday. Another wild week. Happy so, Friday. It sure is. Listen, before we get into the conversation here, uh, you know, I hear you've got some news on Twitter. Obviously, there's a lot going on related to Twitter right now. What are you hearing? Now, that's right, Jeremy. Minutes before we were about to go live on the air this morning, I got a call with a source familiar with the matter uh, who told me that Twitter has experienced significant personnel losses in both the payroll and legal departments as a consequence of this opt-in policy. Uh, for those who may not know, the opt-in policy uh, was Mr. Musk sent around an email saying essentially, hey, listen, you've got to be on board uh, to do a lot of hard work if you want to stay at Twitter. Uh, and if you'd like to, please opt in. If not, uh, you're eligible for a three-month severance package. Apparently, there were a lot of people who did not opt in. And there are also internal concerns that Twitter will not have the resources, including engineering resources, to properly staff the upcoming World Cup event. Uh, my source told me it's complete chaos, and uh, that's a direct quote. Look, it's only one source, but it's a source I know to be familiar with the matter, uh, so it's something that we need to watch. Yeah, certainly, and you know, a lot of us in the crypto space are absolutely glued to Twitter, especially in the last week and a half, so certainly an interesting developing story. We'll be watching that very closely. Before we get into the show today, just a quick reminder to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's 100% free. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you never miss when we go live. Let's jump, as always, into the latest price action. While it's been a wild week in crypto news, uh, not so uh, in terms of prices. Bitcoin, little changed on a 24-hour basis, virtually unchanged compared to a week ago, trading around $16,600. What's it like over at Ethereum, Ash? Well, you know, Ether has had a slightly worse week than Bitcoin. Ether is down 2% uh, on a trailing seven-day basis, currently trading uh, at $1,200 or thereabouts. Given the nature of the news this week, the relative lack of movement could be seen as sort of surprising. That in itself is an interesting story. We've seen relative <laughs> price stability, considering just how much news flow we have had in the space, Jeremy. Yeah, it's pretty wild to see how prices have held up. I mean, I think, you know, in light of everything that's going on, people are probably pretty happy to see. Uh, let's jump straight to our guests. Let's bring them in. As I mentioned, Bobby Zagota is the U.S. CEO of crypto exchange Bitstamp, and Matthias Imbach is the group CEO and co-founder of Signum, which is a Swiss-based digital asset bank. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. How are you today? Great, thank you. Happy Friday. Great to be here. Awesome. Let's let's get your views on kind of the crisis as it's unfolding. We'll start with you, Bobby. What are you thinking about everything we've learned in the last week or so? Well, I don't have to tell you, Jeremy. Um, we we at Bitstamp have been through an incredible set of emotional curves on this. Um, 
you know, from dis disappointment to anger to frustration, you know, this is a, there's just no way to, to say it other than it's a major setback for the industry. And, um, and unfortunately, all of us that have been working really hard in the case of Bitstamp, the longest running exchange, we've been at this for 11 years. Uh, this is the worst thing that we've ever seen happen to the industry. And, you know, as an industry, we got an awful lot of work to do to try to regain trust and, um, and also work with regulators to provide a level of, of uh, clarity and transparency that, that um, both institutions and retail investors deserve. Um, and I can talk more about what Bitstamp is doing in that regard, but that's the headline. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get back to you in just a moment about uh, some of the news coming out of Bitstamp. Uh, Matthias, your thoughts very quickly. Well, it's just, uh, first of all, a shock and uh, disbelief. And whenever you think it can not get worse, you see yet another revelation or really how really bad it is. Uh, also, particularly what came out yesterday with the first report from the now uh, CEO in charge. Uh, it's really quite unbelievable. And uh, you know, it just uh, it just when when you when you reflect on it, it just sometimes uh, I now uh, more than ever will going forward always go by the mantra: if it looks too good to be true, probably it is too good to be true. The whole FTX story, how it unfolded, was just extremely um, you know too fast, and I, I compare that to how we've done it, you know, regulated from day one, etc. Sometimes I also felt a bit like you know, how is it possible that these guys can do everything without? apparently not much supervision with 300 people um you know and, and now and now we know so it's sad uh, but we will of course uh, as an industry regain the trust and and do it better that i'm sure yeah i, I think that's right uh, and to your uh, point bobby i think it is a major setback for the industry and i i appreciate the candor of both of you coming forward and saying that there have been folks out there uh, who have tried to kind of uh, put a happy face on this i think this is a, just a significant hit uh, for the industry, you know, Matthias, you were saying about this sense that it's, things have maybe evolved too fast uh, for, um, you know, for sort of the proper build out. It really is. Uh, it, it's really been an ugly week. And I think it's been a week where where many of us who are really passionate about this technology, who are passionate about this space, feel like uh, the industry as a whole just did not live up to its own ideals. Uh, Jeremy, I know you've got some more news uh, coming out of FTX. Yeah, absolutely. So we are continuing to learn more. Uh, about the size of the mess of the company under the leadership of Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, in a court filing that we've just seen, new CEO John Ray painted an absolutely wild picture of FTX. Apparently, oversight, security, and corporate governance was worse than anywhere else he has seen. And just a reminder, this is the guy, uh, he's a bankruptcy specialist. Uh, he was tasked with cleaning up Enron. So uh, just absolutely wild for him to be making these statements. What do you make of Dash? Yeah, you know, we read this quote yesterday, but I think it's it's so impactful that it bears repeating. It's from John Ray, uh, who is, as you mentioned, now the new post-bankruptcy CEO of FTX. Uh, and it's a direct quote from the court filing, quote, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls uh, and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. Uh, he goes on to say, from compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individuals, the situation is unprecedented. Uh, frankly, Jeremy, it's hard to imagine how it gets much worse than that. Yeah, to say, to say the very, very least. Uh, we're also following a Reuters exclusive on how FTX was buying its way into regulatory approval. 
According to documents seen by Reuters, FTX was buying stakes at licensed companies in order to A, get access to regulators and lobby them on crypto, and B, to make shortcuts to licensing approvals. Another revelation that is absolutely mind-blowing. Ash, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's just more of the same. It's absolutely brutal. I want to give some additional tidbits here uh, from the new court filing uh, from, from John Ray. Uh, according to Ray, there were multiple related party transactions between FTX and Alameda, specifically lending money back and forth between entities uh, and FTX executives borrowing money directly from Alameda to the tune of about $1.6 billion, according to those filings. Uh, Ray also wrote that FTX funds were used to buy homes and other personal items for employees and advisors. Some were not documented as company loans and that proper checks and balances were absent. I mean, it, it sounds like pretty damning stuff. Buying buying houses with company funds. I mean, this is, this is pretty, um, I, I just, I, I'm running out of words here. I, I've never seen anything quite like this. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's absolutely wild. Maybe we should uh, check in with our panel here and and get their thoughts on all this. Look, look. The thing is, it even goes beyond. It's it's it, in this filing. You also see things like that people would uh, kind of approve expenses with emojis in a little chat somewhere, and then monies would just flow, not being accounted for. In fact, it goes as far as apparently they didn't even know what they were invested in. So there's now no inventory in terms of what are actually the companies or the, the projects we had, the, the Alameda or FTS has put money. Uh, it's just it's just a complete mess which goes beyond any words. And and for me, what, what, what really shocked me on, on top of that, a lot of the, or at least part of the trust that was evolving toward or to Towards that, uh, the exchange was also linked to obviously the investors that have backed the the exchange, and I think it's something. I mean, I know the media is reporting on it, and most of the major investors are giving out statements, etc. But to me, it's just unbelievable. Also, as a former venture capitalist, how you know things like at least looking at the board where you had three people on it: Sam, a 20, 20 year old, twenty eight year old, um, you know, former girlfriend, or at least there's rumors they were involved, and a, a right. lawyer from Bahamas. So it's just like that combination. It just appears to me how can any sane investor uh, put money there uh, but but it happened so um, yeah it's just speechless actually I don't know about you guys but at Real Vision when I'm doing my expenses and I, I like forget why I took a $12 cab ride I get nervous when I submit it and I mean Same. buying houses and getting approval with emojis via you know slack conversations it's it's just stunning stunning stuff yeah I mean from my from my perspective um, you know I think it's I think it's very surprising that we, uh, you know, that we've learned that that you know that's that Sam was a crook basically, and and that he was misusing customer funds. That part is hard to digest, hard to take, etc. Um, learning that he's an incompetent CEO and did not create a a real governance structure and a management structure, uh, that's not surprising to me at all. Uh, you know, mm. so in, in other words, if you just if you just take a look at who. The executives are and who the board is, as as uh, Matthias just just pointed out. Like if that doesn't raise eyebrows, you know, um, you know, perhaps Sam's persona, extremely talented from a PR perspective, but perhaps his persona doesn't um, doesn't exactly reek with uh, corporate governance and and experienced leadership. Yeah, we, we should say it's important to point out, of course, innocent until proven guilty. No one has been criminally charged here uh, as of yet. Uh, there haven't been civil charges filed as of yet. 
But obviously, this is just extremely uh, damning evidence that's coming forth that we're all looking at here in, in real time. Uh, talking of which, Bobby Z, breaking news from your shop uh, this morning from Bitstamp. Let me just read the tweet. Uh, quote, we're halting trading of FTT and CEL. That's, of course, the sell token Celsius. FTT, of course, is the FTX native token. On November 22nd, 2022 at 12 p.m. UTC. If you plan on performing any more trades, please do so before the deadline. Withdrawals will start uh, will still be possible after this date. Uh, this is this morning, November 18th at 5.03 p.m. Bobby, tell me about this decision. What drove it? What are you responding to? And what's the significance? Yeah, we just think this is a responsible move given given the the context of both of these tokens. Uh, you know, as an operator, as an exchange operator, we want to be available for people who have uh, tokens uh, regardless of their value. However, in this particular case, um, we think that delisting the token would be would would create more hardships for customers than halting the trading of tokens. What what halting does is it essentially enables you to stop growing the market or perhaps attracting more tokens to the market, et cetera. It puts a bit of a governor on on the situation without hurting any, hurting any customers who have those tokens. Yeah, it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of scenario and figuring out the way that you can minimize the damage. Jeremy, I understand there's additional story flow coming out from the Bahamas authorities. Yeah, so as we were just talking about uh, trying to figure out where the money's gone. One of the big mysteries in this whole ongoing dra drama is what happened to the money. Uh, there was this news about a massive exploit last week, uh, went up to $600 million was transferred out of the company. Before that, many people were caught by surprise that FTX was allowing some withdrawal of funds based in the Bahamas where FTX had been headquartered. Now we're learning that at least some of the funds were moved because of directions from the Bahaman, Bahamian regulators, pardon me, the new FTX CEO called the transfers unauthorized in a court filing. So what do we make of that? Yeah, let me just read this. It's According to Decrypt, this is some additional news flow coming out uh, here this morning. Uh, according to Decrypt, the Securities Commission of the Bahamas, this is the securities regulator in the Bahamas, has confirmed the transfer for the first time after previously denying it. We don't know who made the transfer to the authorities. Uh, the new FTX leadership is clearly not happy this took place, obviously. Uh, they had filed for bankruptcy proceedings in the US, but now we're seeing a legal fight over jurisdictions. You know, this is where the borderless nature of crypto comes into play. It appears uh, to be a bit of a clash with the traditional rules and regulations. I, I mean, we just don't really even seem to know what the, what the relevant jurisdiction is here, how this will be treated under US law, how this will be treated under Bahamian law, how this will be treated abroad, if there are any other jurisdictions that may uh, potentially jump in. This is, uh, this is kind of like uh, a precedent setting case. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Yeah. Bobby, Matthias, you, you guys have been in this space for a long time. You think a lot about the law. You think a lot about regulation. What what do you make of this and, and how it might start to move forward? I mean, yeah, there's also there's the, the point where obviously we need to look look ahead and what is going to happen now. And I certainly there's two very strong 
you know pushes that we see already now one is obviously that that enormous uh, uh, success now for example of hardware wallet providers i've just read that that ledger for example had record sales um this month of this this push to we need to get get away from centralized entities and and really kind of um self custodize in this in these uncertain times on the one hand side and i think it's a, it's a good development i'm also saying this as a ceo of 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 a crypto bank i think it's good for those who know how to deal with this and do it doing it properly on the other hand you 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 will see now i'm i'm very convinced uh, a very strong response of regulators, immediate response, I would even say, uh, to some extent, and much more international coordination. Um, there are certain countries, and I hope that the broader regulatory community will learn uh, or, or at least interact and, and learn from, from these experiences. For example, where I'm currently sitting in, in Switzerland, in Zurich, we've, we've been operating as a full-fledged bank since 2019 in the space, and what we have seen unfolding here would not even, you know, not even a one percent of what we're discussing he could ever happen in a setup as, as we have it from a governance, procedural, etc. standpoint. So I think that's the second part. You'll see uh, a strong push for coordination globally for regulatory frameworks and and probably also much tougher rules around cross-border selling of tokens or, or exchanges. So we are, for example, operating only via reverse solicitation internationally. We cannot just go anywhere and you know uh, push out ads, etc. Like. What, what has happened also with FTX? So I think that's going to be the two, the two, um, the two uh, big pushes. And um, generally, I feel, and we're seeing it already now. I'm happy to reveal we we've been flooded since the last two weeks. We've never in the history we've had that number of inflows. We're going to breach. We're going to go way beyond half a billion uh, in November. Uh, mm. Just just out of that 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 coming out of it because people are starting to really ask themselves whom they're dealing with uh, you see it even uh, with liquidity providers etc everyone is worried right nobody's trusting anyone anymore so at the end of the every day there's people are looking cfos and treasures are looking twice and three times where is their money parked uh, etc so it's is that that's what's what's currently happening you know, Bobby, uh, Matthias set it up right there, talking about how they're operating as a as a full fledged bank in Switzerland and being regulated as such. You know, I did a, a radio interview this morning. Uh, someone had me on their show, uh, Austin Peterson, asking me these questions uh, about what an exchange is, and I said, you know, Austin, it's kind of interesting because we have these sort of uh, these sort of words that are used very loosely in the crypto space, where people say, you know, an exchange. It doesn't actually mean what, for example, an exchange would mean uh, in capital markets like the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, tell us a little bit about how the operating entity of Bitstamp US is set up, how you guys are structured, and how you're regulated. Yeah, great question. And and regulation is uh, you know is a topic that uh, is really central to Bitstamp. So Bitstamp was the first uh, crypto company to ever have a license back in 2017. We now have 50 licenses around the globe, and our founders and and the executive team you know have have we've all kind of hung our hat on being the regulated, the um, highest kind of um, governance and security exchange available. So this is a topic we think about a lot. We spend a lot of resource on. So you know, happy to talk about it. Yeah, I, I think that from a crypto exchange perspective, there are two types. There are the type uh, that Bitstamp falls into that I just described. Um, you know, highly licensed, working with numerous regulators around the planet. Um, you know, uh, participating in many many audits. Uh, you know, in the, in the U.S. alone, we have a Bit license in New York, which is. A bit of a gold standard from our perspective. Uh, from this is a this is issued standpoint. by the New York State Department of Financial Services. Yeah, 
Exactly, yes. Um, and then we have money transmitter licenses in 42 states, all of which audit us on a regular basis. We have a money services business license. This is just in the US, and then I could go on from there. Um, the second type of exchange is uh, you know, what we refer to as offshore exchanges. So exchanges who have chosen a very light touch um, regulatory regime, such as the Bahamas, um, and there are others that fall into that category. And they operate um, essentially with a, a fraction of the regulatory responsibility that the regulated exchanges operate with. We've, we've always challenged lawmakers and regulators to, hey, level the playing field here. This, this really, you know, we're spending about a third of our employees are dedicated to regulatory compliance um, and these other exchanges do more and uh, with, with less kind of infrastructure required. Um, so, uh, to answer your question, uh, you know, I believe that this moment, you know, has has woken up a big part of the community and part of also the traditional financial services community that that, hey, regulation is not a penalty. It's actually um, a, a strength and that when somebody is considering who who to partner with, they should look at the whole equation, uh, not just what product or what flashy, um, you know, uh, stadium branding there is or Super Bowl ads or whatever, but actually look at what is behind it and what is it founded upon. Yeah. You know, is there a concern that you guys have uh, that potentially one of the outcomes for this is that legislators and regulators will look at the space and be like, oh my God, this was just so horrific. This is one of the, the worst cases we've ever seen uh, in terms of the news flow we've seen so far. Again, nothing's been proven in court and that they will come in and try to just over-regulate the space, basically just try to be this, you know, tamping down force in a kind of draconian way. Do you guys fear that? How do you think about that? How do you prepare for that kind of potential regulatory and legislative headwind? I think this is, uh, you know, that's pretty likely. And actually, even as having been in the industry for, for a long time, it's also tough to argue, uh, you know, you, there's reasons why why this is now happening. And it is just hard to to then push back and say it, it's not needed. Usually that's what's happening. There's a crisis. There's a there's something really going 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 bad. And then, you know, they're, they're coming in. Many regulators still not actually understanding the technology, many of the processes, and then the the natural um, the natural outcome is over-regulations. We're seeing, we're seeing it very tangibly also in, in Switzerland in, in, and in Singapore, where last year, whenever we had new product launches, et cetera, which again, of course, in our case, we, we go through the process, we 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 are uh, we do this hand in hand with the regulators. We felt this year, particularly around anything related to a bit more DeFi, uh, new products, et cetera, there's been a lot more hesitation already after the Luna Celsius um, challenges. And, and I think this will now continue and actually amplify and particularly the international leg, the co international coordination will, will, um, will, will massively increase. So yeah, the crypto industry has to get ready for for a massive uh, cleanup and 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 also you know in a humble way confident but without attitude also just rebuild that trust and it will take time bobby how about you yeah. how do you prepare for that yeah. uh, good question i feel like we're very prepared given kind of uh, everything i just described um however just to add to matthias's comments uh you know i think that regulators have a tough job um because they have to um, provide uh, consumer protection, real-life consumer protection, um, but they also have to do it in a way that doesn't um, stop innovation or push innovation into riskier 
jurisdictions um, or offshore. So, so they have to find that line. And, and our message uh, to regulators is, is you know, let's work together. Um, you know, we we have expertise. We have the same objective as, as as they do. And let's let's see if we can find, you know, solutions that are common sense that are not over regulation. But also will provide um, will provide the confidence uh, for for consumers and for people who participate. Um, the only other thing I would add to that is is one of the interesting things that's playing out from a regulatory standpoint is jurisdictions, right? So, so you know the Bahamanian, sure I say that Bahamanian uh, regula regulator, you know, uh, is operating a little bit counter to U.S. Bankruptcy code. A lot of U.S. customers are affected, however, and same thing with other jurisdictions around the world. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see how regulators work together um, uh, to to you know to bring real solutions that that work globally. You know, Bobby, I'm so glad you mentioned this idea of innovation. One of the things that's been talked about a great deal here in the wake of the FTX uh, disaster is the idea of cryptographically verifiable proof of reserves proof of assets, proof of liabilities. This is obviously a new technology that could potentially, potentially have a tremendous impact on the space going forward. If you were able to go up uh, to any exchange and say, oh, well, here we are. We're taking a look at Bitstamp. These are their liabilities. These are their assets. They appear to be well capitalized. I feel better now, right? That kind of hypothetical scenario. How far away are you uh, and, and are, is the space more generally from being able to implement a solution like that? Is it something that's months away? Is it something that's five years away? How do you think about that? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's an incredibly important development um, and, and trend in the industry. It's something that will really deliver, I think, um, visibility and transparency for people who participate. Uh, from a Bitstamp perspective, we are in process on uh, proof of reserves um, regime. We were actually in process be be before the recent um, the recent debacle. But um, one of the things that we think is important about it is is some people put out um, a, a kind of a view of their assets or their wallets, which we think is useful, but only part of the picture. You can't really determine solvency or 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 the protection of your assets. So proof of reserves um, for, for others includes a view of liabilities, as you mentioned, Ash. That really helps. Right. That really gives a more, a more complete picture. Um, we're trying to take it one step farther. We're doing, we're doing both of those, but we're, we're also certifying it via um, our, our big four auditors. So we've been audited by Ernst & Young for, since 2016, um, global financial audit, uh, and they're also going to certify our proof of reserves. Um, so that's going to take a little bit longer for us, but but we think it'll provide even more assurance. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah. If, I, if I maybe can add, right, right now, one of the big, I think everyone uh, agrees that this is a good idea, needs to happen and is in the process. The challenge right now that we have in the industry today is 
there's not even enough resources of you know qualified auditors etc and also tech teams that can help establish that process and and there's this bank run fear right now right so uh, particularly among uh, unregulated um, uh, exchanges I'm clearly not referring to to bitstamp here and as a result um, then others other we need to have other immediate solutions so we've started just to help the ecosystem for example offering that we can work with exchanges that on a on a, on a daily basis uh, we can kind of as a Swiss bank where, where which where we can help assets off balance sheet so whatever happens to us right assets are uh, with the client we can go bankrupt there's still the client's assets that's very much part of the of the framework that we're operating with down to the to the blockchain so we are offering uh, a service that we can for the for the exchange uh, um, on a daily basis uh, confirm that these assets are held by us off balance sheet etc so these are interim steps that are now needed because you know the trust needs to be re rebuilt now and it can't take months and years yeah, you know, it's interesting. One of the interesting things about both of you guys is that you both have these sort of very long, deep, traditional finance backgrounds, traditional consulting backgrounds. Uh, Matthias, you have a very long background as a consultant. Uh, Bobby Z, you were at the CME uh, for about five years. Uh, so you guys know the way that finance works. It's interesting to me, and it's been pointed out uh, by many people, that one of the sort of kind of critical misunderstandings about this crisis is that this is a quote unquote crypto crisis. This is a crisis that took place in the crypto space, but really has elements of the classic financial panics, uh, a classic run on a bank. There's nothing crypto specific about this. FTX could have been making financial widgets and we might've seen precisely the same thing. And yet the technology of cryptocurrency has the impact or has the potential impact of being able uh, to change these circumstances so that we do, as we've been talking about, have these sort of cryptographically verified ways of understanding who holds what. It would, it would uh, you know, obviously have an impact against uh, liquidity risk, solvency risk, if you were able to see who was solvent, who wasn't, who was liquid and who wasn't, and also counterparty risk. These were also major themes that we saw during the 2007-2008 global financial crisis era. So it is something of a paradox that the, the fundamental challenge that we're seeing here is not something that is really crypto specific. It's just a result of highly unregulated markets uh, taking place overseas, very poor transparency, uh, and maybe some bubblicious aspects of uh, the crypto space being run up in price people wanting to jump in at all costs, people believing that there is going to be massive growth over at FTX, wanting to invest in the token. It really is a weird sort of melange of different forces at play here. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ash. Uh, you know, to your point, there are very specific um, precedents for this type of situation in the traditional financial services world. When I think back to my time at CME Group, it was, it was the MF Global uh, issue, if you're right. familiar with that. But it was a similar, it was a kind of a similar phenomenon that created tell a us contagion. About, for, for people who don't know, Bobby, tell us about MF Global, because, you know, it's not identical, but boy, it sure seems to rhyme. Yeah, in, in similar fashion, uh, you know, that organization who played a kind of a critical intermediary role uh, in in the the global derivatives marketplace, um, you know, basically uh, misrepresented and and um, obfuscated uh, exactly where their assets were and where their level of assets were, and in, in a oversimplifying, there was a bit of a run on the bank phenomenon there as well, which created um, a, 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 a incredible deficit that that just rippled out through the entire. Um, derivatives marketplace and and actually and beyond, um, and so uh, 
you know, that's that those are the parts that are similar, but but the the real message here is that um, these things have happened before. It doesn't mean they're okay. It doesn't mean we should accept them. Um, it does mean we do need common sense regulation in place in the crypto marketplace. Regulation in the derivatives world improved after the MF global uh, situation. And we need to do the same thing, the same thing from a crypto perspective. Um, the only other thing I would add, and this is, uh, you know, maybe not helpful, but the other thing that we had here, at least in my opinion, was uh, was bad actors, you know, um, and so that 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 again is a, a need for for regulation. But we also should remember that this wasn't as systemic an issue, perhaps in the crypto um, ecosystem. Uh, it's it's really more of a centralized or a, a, a single issue um, because of some really bad decision making, I think. Matthias, what do you think? It's a fine yeah. line between bad actors and regulation and a framework that allows bad actors to operate with impunity. Yeah, I mean, I, I also want to say how you started off, Ash. I mean, it cannot be repeated enough that at no point in the last, actually this whole year, which is a bit of a, you know, a difficult year for crypto and particularly in the last two weeks, did the technology as such not work? I mean, I have to repeat it every day and I hope you guys do that too, that the, the technology worked beautifully. Uh, you, you see it on, on right. decentralized finance, finance, it works. The, the challenge there is though, um, we if we now would want to conclude that we should, we don't need any centralized custodians, etc. anymore, probably that's also a bit short-sighted, right? I mean, I can fully understand that the, the core of, of, the, of, of the crypto uh, mantra would be to do exactly that, but you know, maybe it's not realistic that then things like you know, abiding by sanctions lists, AML and KYC, etc., will just in this future world completely be gone. I just don't think it's realistic, and we should not, we should not, uh, you know, strive towards it. So what we need is to combine the elements that technology and and crypto cryptography gives us to to uh, to weave out some of the governance and 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 counterparty risk uh, escrow type kind of setups that are currently needed in traditional finance and embed it with with already proven regulatory frameworks that actually work and now apply it uh, consistently to the ecosystem and one of the things right. i've been most uh, frustrated about is the the lack of level playing field that we've had over the last few years and i'm sure bobby you you and your colleagues have have been discussing this as well and i hope that this, uh, this these happenings will now lead to a more level playing field and people having to abide and otherwise uh, you know would be targeted by regulators fast and stopped to protect uh, customers yeah, I got to pull Jeremy back in, but uh, ju just to uh, to agree with you, Matthias, Matthias, that's a, some really important points there. Uh, you threw in the hand grenade uh, of AML, KYC, and OFAC compliance. I've been calling that uh, the single biggest issue in crypto before FTX became the single biggest issue in crypto. But it really does look like uh, you know an irresistible force moving toward an unstoppable object. When you think about the demands of regulators, when you think about demands of nation states, and you look uh, up on the uh, website of, for example, Ethereum and people who are really passionate about this space, the words uh, censorship, resistance, and credible neutrality, just so core uh, to the space. And you see those two things almost running uh, on this collision course together, and we're going to have to see uh, how it shakes out. One other thing I wanted to agree with you about, uh, Matthias, uh, before we go back to Jeremy, uh, was this idea of the technology function perfectly. Uh, and I know that that may sound uh, to some folks out there in the audience, uh, as my grandfather used to say, uh, that the operation was a success, but unfortunately the patient still died. Uh, but there is, you know, this this idea that the technology uh, 
is something that is not only functioning well behind the scenes, but also has the potential to expand the functionality uh, and to actually reduce some of these crises in the future. I don't know, Jeremy, we covered a lot of ground there. Uh, what are you thinking? Well, um, you know, we we continue to have more questions than answers, but but this was a fascinating conversation. We do have a question from the audience. This is from Juan, who is one of our Real Vision members who attended our Real Vision Cayman experience, which was an awesome little networking event that we had down here in Grand Cayman last week. Uh, this is for Bobby, but I'll open it up to both of you. Uh, we mentioned it a little bit already, but where do you stand on proof of reserves? Uh, you know, for the industry as a whole, what are your what are your thoughts? And uh, have you done proof of reserves? And then, as a follow up, how do we verify that all of the crypto belongs to that belongs to the customers is in exchanges as they are right now? Yeah, great question. And uh, to answer, you know, I think it's a very very important. Um, element of that any centralized exchange should offer we are in process on it we will be delivering it in a matter of weeks uh, we think we're we're doing it uh, more thoroughly and more completely than what's um, been done thus far by a few competitors um, but, but again uh, we'll know more when we complete the study um, but to answer your question as as a consumer one you should uh, demand it expect it from uh, from anyone you partner with uh, in terms of a crypto exchange and Matthias, yeah, your I, thoughts? I would agree. And uh, in our case, uh, from the very beginning, we are holding all our assets off balance sheet one to one. We never do anything with our with our clients' assets, of course, crypto assets. And um, this is uh, on an ongoing basis, audited and, for example, reported on a monthly basis to to Finma, uh, also to the Swiss National Bank for for the for fiat. And um, and there's as for an, for any other bank, there's daily liquidity ratios, uh, concentration risk ratios, etc. That we need to uphold. So for us. This is kind of daily business. This is the very core of, of what we do and how we've built the, the, the venture on. Awesome. Thank you both for that. Uh, once again, another fascinating conversation today. Bobby and Matthias, don't go anywhere. We're coming back to you for your final thoughts. Uh, we covered a lot of ground today. And as always, we like to finish with our key takeaways. Uh, as we know, we're still learning the full scale and impact of all of this FTX fallout with surely more to come. But Part of a really constructive conversation today, both Bobby and Matthias believe that this moment has truly woken up the crypto community to the fact that regulation is an opportunity rather than a deterrent in this space, with Ash mentioning that this crisis is far more similar to a traditional finance crisis. And as we've seen, you know, the DeFi space continues on unabated uh, so far. The task in crypto is now returning trust Regulated and licensed players stand to gain a huge market share as part of that, and also hardware wallets and self-custody providers also will benefit from a move to higher levels of security. Matthias believes that regulation of the crypto industry is really uh, our way forward and that we need to clean up the space a little bit. Bobby mentioning that regulators have to find the line between protecting participants in crypto without stifling innovation at the same time. Uh, gentlemen, I want to just come back to you very quickly for your final thoughts. We will start with Bobby. Uh, yeah, look, really appreciate the time to chat about this. And as I said at the beginning, you know, as an industry, we've we've got a lot of work to do. Um, and you know, from a Bitstamp perspective, as I as I mentioned, we've you know we've made this regulation and this compliance forward posture kind of the center of our company. Um, and so we we uh, we don't. 
we're not celebrating this moment by any way, shape, or form. But but we are gratified that many people in the in the space and people looking at the space and watching the space are now appreciating the investment and and um, appreciating the security and the trust that comes along along with being a fully licensed, you know, um, you know, operating in the right jurisdictions kind of uh, centralized exchange. And then from an industry perspective, you know, we do have a lot of work to do. I think I think with regulators and then in collaboration, um, not just exchanges, but but all of the companies that comprise this kind of very active and very innovative um, side of the uh, side of the world. And um, and I hope that we can continue to do that in a way that doesn't, uh, as I mentioned, stifle or impede uh, innovation, but rather enhance it in a more productive way. Matthias, your thoughts? Yes, so we are at the crossroads. We've discussed it, right? It's It's been uh, quite shocking uh, what, what has happened this year to crypto, but I am a glass half full kind of a person. As an entrepreneur, I also look at what's happening in the space, uh, that the technology works beautifully, that still you have lots of great developers, founders working on this, uh, what we call future finance. So now what we just need to do as a community and, and people believing in it is accepting that future has heritage and that we need to combine what we want to work towards and, and leveraging decentralized infrastructure to also link it back to where we're coming from on the many learnings that we've already done in, in traditional finance when it comes to AML, KYC, liquidity crisis, bank runs, etc. And if you combine these two mindsets and, 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 and merge it, then we have a bright future. It will take some time, but uh, we'll build uh, towards it every day. Yeah, most certainly. And lastly, my friend Ash, your thoughts. Well, you know, first, it was great to have this conversation with two operators of two regulated businesses. I think it was incredibly helpful to have you, Bobby, and Matthias here to help unpack this for folks uh, to see what it's actually like behind the scenes and to give us your, us your insights. I think it's just, it's really created a lot of light, I think, around this uh, for people who may have been asking some of those questions. Uh, second takeaway, Jeremy, you, you said it so well at the top there. Uh, we're still learning the full scale and impact of this. You know, just yesterday we got news flow on Genesis and Gemini. Uh, I joked yesterday that people notoriously confuse those two firms, but it didn't matter even if you goofed it up. Uh, either way, you got it right because both were having troubles with liquidity uh, yesterday. Uh, I believe that uh, I believe that Gemini uh, got that sorted out. Look, here's the thing. There's rising liquidity risk in the system. There's rising counterparty risk in the system. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that there's another shoe to drop, but what I am saying uh, is that if there were another shoe to drop, we shouldn't expect that it would have happened already. In other words, these things often take time to play out. Uh, sometimes things get uh, picked up at the end of the month. Uh, sometimes these challenges roll forward for a whole variety of reasons. I mentioned uh, that number yesterday, 454. Uh, that was the number of days between Lehman's bankruptcy filing September 15, 2008, I believe, uh, and a story that had been reported some 454 days earlier in the Wall Street Journal that two obscure hedge funds over at Bear Stearns that nobody had heard of had 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 to close, experience significant problems uh, with liquidity. Again, I'm not saying that that's happening here. I'm not saying that there's another shoe to drop. What I am saying is you really have to watch this space. 
very closely in the coming weeks and months. My own guess is the technology has somewhat accelerated that, so I don't expect it to be a year or more until we find out. But it could be a question of months. We could be waiting months uh, to see how this fully plays out. Obviously, it's a very rapidly developing story. Right here on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing, we're going to be covering this story uh, with the diligence it deserves. And, you know, we just don't know where it's going to go yet. So why it's important uh, to absolutely follow this extremely closely if you care about the space, Jeremy. 100% and very well said, Ash. Uh, that brings us to the end of the show. I want to thank all of you out there for watching. I want to thank our guests, both Bobby and Matthias, uh, for joining us today. It was a pleasure doing the show with you. Uh, thank you very much once again for your time. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. Don't forget, as I mentioned before, to like and subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is 100% free for those of you watching on YouTube. Smash all the buttons. Uh, join us again next week on the Best Daily Show covering all the goings-on in the crypto world. We will see you Monday at noon Eastern Time, 5 p.m. London Time, live on the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. <laughs>